Hey friends, welcome back to Here in Apologetics. Super pumped to join us today. Today I have Josh Yen. We're gonna be responding to TMM. I honestly wish I remembered what this stood for. Please talk about his video, Why Suffering is a Problem for Theism. So Josh, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing good, thank you. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good. We just had a live conversation on your channel about 15 minutes ago. Um, Philosophy for All channel is added in the YouTube description. Hopefully, I need to see if I can do that actually. So, and this is pre-recorded, so I don't know yet. But yeah, Josh's channel is gonna be there, and I'm super pumped. And yeah, I'm ready to get this thing going. So, anything you want to say, Josh, before we dive into this? Nothing much, really. I think this is a very interesting video. I think we actually responded to the video to which he was responding to his video to which he was responding to, which quite a while ago <laughs> with the dry apologist. Because I think oh, you're this right, is the yeah. Yeah, because this is the response to Deflate's video, right? And then Lucas yeah. <laughs> responded to Co Cameron's video. And no, uh, who was it? Uh, Cosmic Skeptics oh video. And then we responses. responded to that ages ago. So, I mean, this is one in the long uh, responses chain, I suppose. But I'm definitely yeah. looking forward to talking about it. So, a long time video. way back when Cosmic Skeptic released a video on the problem of the animal suffering, which me, Josh, and Caleb Cumberland, the dry apologist, responded to. But Deflate also made a response to Cosmic Skeptic, and then this guy made a response to Deflate responding to Cosmic Skeptic. Now we're making a response to him, so we'll see someone makes a response to this, and they can go through all that mumbo jumbo of explaining it all. So yeah, right on. Well, what we'll do now then, we'll start playing this video um, and responding to it. So yeah, here we go. Here's a guy who thinks Cosmic Skeptic accidentally made an argument in favor of theism by pointing out that the existence of an all-powerful, perfectly good God is contradicted by the existence of animal suffering. Now you have to know that the case Alex puts forward has nothing to do with animal suffering which is inflicted by humans. Instead, he exclusively focuses on the suffering wild animals endure apart from human involvement. And you're about to hear plenty of examples of that from Alex himself. His claim is essentially that the existence of an all-powerful and all-loving God is implausible given the amount of pain animals have to live with in the natural order created by God. And since there are literally trillions of animals, the problem of animal suffering is, to Alex, even bigger than the problem of human suffering. Or as he puts it, If the problem of suffering is historically one of Christianity's biggest problems, then the problem of animal suffering is its biggest. I don't think the quantity of suffering is the most relevant issue. If there is a God who is all-powerful and perfectly good, I don't understand how any suffering, even if it were rare and mild, could exist. If there is a being who exists who can prevent this, but who chooses not to, I don't understand what it means to say that such a being is perfectly good. That seems like a contradiction to me. If oh, let's go back so we can see his text. Um, but yeah, Josh, where do you want to take this? I think that this is quite an interesting uh, point he makes. I think that um, it, one of the things which always stand out to me when it goes to discussing the problem of evil is what we mean by contradiction, because I do think that there's a different, there's at least a few different types of contradiction that arises either like logical contradiction. That's kind of what I get from this is kind of like, oh, it's logically impossible for the, these um, states of affairs to occur uh, simultaneously. Although, of course, mm -hmm. there are other people who would say more of an evidential or just highly improbable that that um, this, these states of affairs occur simultaneously. So it does seem to suggest that I think it changes your argument significantly. And personally, I feel that but if it is correct, if my interpretation is correct, that he is making this the logical problem of evil, what it does actually weaken the case, because I do think one of the main reasons why um, Cosmic Skeptic is using animal suffering is because the traditional kind of logical problem of evil has in the Mackey's sense has kind of gone out of fashion or at least has has had so many responses which reasonable responses to which a lot of people realize that it perhaps isn't the strongest formulation of evil but not not to say that the problem of evil isn't strong at all but rather that if a problem of evil was to be successful it's most likely going to be through more specific cases of evil instead of kind of the oh evil exists god exists therefore there is a logical contradiction so i do think that perhaps in some sense, by making it the logical problem of view or by reducing 
Alex's argument to the logical form of view, it perhaps makes the argument um, a bit weaker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think for like TMM, um, one thing I really appreciate about him is he's super clear because you can literally just read his script as he puts it on the screen. So I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. I wanted to say that. Um, so it seems to me like he's getting like having this basic intention that any sort of like imperfection or any sort of suffering is just like um, incompatible with the existence of God. And for me, there's a couple of things I want to say here. And a lot of the video is going to be like looking at this idea, but I would still say that like a perfect being could still be perfect, even if there's an imperfect universe. Um, so yeah, there's that one problem. Like God could create an imperfect universe, but he's still perfect. So the perfection's still there. Um, so then there's a question of like, why would God create an imperfect universe? But there's no problem. I think like a priori. So I would say just for now, the task of the Christian is just to give an explanation for why there would be any sort of suffering at all. One thing I want to just address right now is maybe we could talk about like human freedom. So for example, it would take between seven to $265 billion to solve the problem of world hunger. Um, the U.S. budget alone is $5 trillion. So if each person contributed $10, world hunger problem should be solved, hopefully. Like even you look at like Elon Musk just bought Twitter for like, like $45 billion. He used that money to maybe like solve world hunger. And this is not a dig on Elon because we're all just as guilty and messed up with like trying to solve this problem as him. Like, whew, we could get a lot of world hunger taken care of. So looking at like the idea of like, um, why is there any suffering? You could say like, well, there's human freedom and God allowed um, this freedom to like choose God or choose relationships with others. That's good. But with that freedom, there's also this big problem that we can continue to allow even these horrific sufferings to occur, like hunger, even though it's totally within our capacity to do these things. So I just bring this as like one possible explanation. And we'll get into more later about why, like, God would allow any suffering in the first place. Definitely agree with you. All right, sounds good. What we'll do then is we'll play this next part. And we're saving, obviously, a lot of our stuff because a lot of things are kind of go over again and again, which is not bad. But it's going to really help bring clarity to the point of, like, trying to understand, like, this a priori assumption that, like, the existence of God is incompatible with suffering means to say that such a being is perfectly good. That seems like a contradiction to me. If human life is, as I've argued, infused with pain, then non-human animal life is defined by pain. Okay, let's pause here for a moment. I don't know where Alex gets this idea that animal life is defined by pain. I mean, are we really to believe that the thing that defines a dolphin, a butterfly, or a chimpanzee is the experience of pain? Why is this the ultimate identity marker for what it means to live as an animal? I don't think Alex means this literally. He says that if human life is infused with pain, then animal life is defined by it. It seems to me that he's making a hyperbolic relative statement rather than a literal one. Why not the urge to reproduce or or the urge to feed. No, it's pain, says Alex, and we're gonna see later that this directly contradicts evolutionary theory. But let's indulge Alex for a moment and see why he thinks that pain is the real deal. Animals in the wild are subject to endless torment from all angles of their existence. Yeah, sure, I totally buy that. No, I mean, come on, seriously? Does Cosmic Skeptic really think that we're gonna fall for his emotional appeal, that all animals from the moment they're born until they die are endlessly tormented? I don't think it's an emotional appeal. If suffering exists at all, that seems to contradict the idea that a being which is both all-powerful and perfectly good exists. That's a conceptual objection, not an emotional one. To say that non-human animal existence is defined by pain sounds like hyperbole to me. But that's irrelevant because there is still an apparent contradiction to the idea that any suffering at all exists alongside an all-powerful, perfectly good being. This is especially the case with animal suffering. Human suffering is often justified by Genesis 3.17. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. This, of course, doesn't explain why the guilt and punishment for disobedience became hereditary. Adam and Eve's descendants weren't involved, so why do we have to live in such a difficult world? The reason animal suffering is such a problem for Abrahamic religions in particular is the question of why non-human animals, who not only had nothing to do with the disobedience except for the serpent, I suppose, and don't even have any relation to the perpetrators, also have to suffer. Okay, lots of things here, Josh. So where do you want to take this? Perhaps I'll first start off with agreeing with TMM by saying that I don't think that Alex means it um, literally. 
And perhaps one of the reasons why it is the case is I think there's a bit of a difference between um, kind of what you write on an academic paper and what you kind of do for YouTube, I suppose, both as YouTubers ourselves, we we perhaps um, could could uh, attest to that ourselves in some sense. Sometimes you say things not necessarily that is literally true, but it's a bit of a hyperbole as well. And, and perhaps Lucas is focusing a bit too much on on Alex's kind of argued idea that is defined the animal existence is defined by pain. Of course, I do think that it is an extreme kind of view. And if Alex was writing a paper, he probably wouldn't say that animal lives are defined by pain if he was writing a purely academic paper. Though I do think that just because it's a YouTube kind of context, he perhaps used kind of animals are defined by pain is kind of a nice sound, because it does sound quite nice. But philosophically speaking, I think that's not a very good argument. And I'm pretty sure Alex himself recognizes it's not a very good argument. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good, Josh. One thing I would add is like TMM, he talks about how this idea of like we can't just use the fall to explain animal suffering. And I think he's right about that. Um, unless you were going to try to argue for some sort of like younger creationist model. But like if you aren't, like I'm not a young earth creationist, um, you're going to have to do with like millions of years of animal suffering before Adam and Eve are stepping foot on the earth. So like there's a problem there. And I do think there's plausible like theodicies and defenses that we can bring forward here. So for example, like Robin Collins talks about how creation through like evolution or some sort of process like this is going to create like interconnected animals and species and like a single tree of life. So, like our lives are connected in some sense to the lives of other animals. And I think there's something su super valuable and precious about that. Um, also, I think there's just like intrinsic value in animal life. Um, like think about like the Amazon rainforest. There's so much suffering that's happening there right now. So should we just like burn the forest and destroy it? Boom. We can get rid of all the problem of animal suffering. I think the obvious answer is no. Like there's, there's a reason we're trying to preserve the rainforest because there's beauty in that life. Even though there's suffering and things like that, there's beauty in the life in the rainforest. And then one other thing I would say here is just like animals can also grow. So Richard Swinburne talks about this in his book, The Existence of God. But like animals can do many of the things that we can do. They can preserve themselves and their offspring. Um, they can protect themselves from harm. When the gazelle, like this is a quote from here, when the gazelle sees other gazelles killed by tigers, it gives them knowledge of how to use the power for good ends, for its own benefit and that of its offspring, by escaping from other tigers and helping its offspring to escape them. So animals aren't just like moral, like merely like moral patients who just like suffer. Like they're like rational creatures, not to our rational capacities. They can also like grow and do these things. Um, so there's a few considerations. And also if God exists, like God can redeem any suffering they have here in an afterlife. Suppose like there is some sort of purpose, like allowing animals to grow or beauty natural laws or things like this, any suffering that the animal experiences in this life, it can be redeemed. So I'm not saying any things are like, boom, problem of animal suffering debunked. But I think there's a bunch of different like plausible reasons to think that like, well, maybe God would use a world that allows for like a lot of animal suffering. Perhaps building on the point that you give, I do think that this perhaps illustrates kind of what I was arguing before as well in, in kind of when I said that moving away from him kind of moving away from the animal suffering to the kind of to more of a conceptual logical problem of view or does weaken mm -hmm. Alex's point because I definitely think that and I would agree with you that animal suffering in itself raises a completely different question and perhaps kind of creates way more qu questions that need to be answered than just a logical problem of evil because mm -hmm. it does raise things like well what actually is the value of animal suffering compared to human suffering is that the same can we can we say well okay I'm not sure how you measure suffering but but like imagine mm -hmm. maybe a a cow breaks its leg is that the same as a, a human breaking its leg or something like that it does mm -hmm. raise a lot of those questions which have to be kind of answered from a christian perspective is that kind of to god is that worth more is it worth less and all these different questions of course they might have easy answers to them and i'd be like humans are made in the image of god whereas animals are not and, and different things like that we're stewards of animals so there's a kind of this hierarchy but at least i think when you keep it to animal suffering i do think that it, it makes a way more complex argument to 
to wrestle with and to deal with. And also, I think that one of the other things is that I think that that's in some sense, the fact that it isn't a conceptual objection is, is this main strength of problem of evil. Because if we think about the strongest problem of evil, it's rarely because because of it being a strong logical argument. I don't think that a lot of people raise problems of evils thinking that it is a logical argument and therefore I'm going to make it. It's, it the strength of the problem of evil doesn't come from its logical deductive nature. It comes from the fact that evil is one of the realest, if not the real, one of uh, the realest kind of emotion that everyone can exist can like kind of feel or or think intuitively about right if you think about well what you what what's true in the world evil would be on your top five list of things which you kind of can generally recognize as something which exists and as a result mm-hmm. in some sense it's an existential problem which is by nature not necessarily something which is abstract and conceptual but rather something which is physical and something which is to be wrestled with daily so in some sense i do think that by reducing the animal suffering to to logical problem of evil is perhaps reducing the argument's greatest strength, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely something there. And I definitely think it's a, definitely an interesting argument to think about. And it's interesting, like, trying to understand the balance here. So, like, TMM is using, like, a more, like, logical problem of evil. Um, and Cosmic Skeptic is, like, focusing on specifically the problem of animal suffering. So it's going to be interesting how it all kind of balances out. Um, so, yeah, I think that's good thoughts you have, Josh. And, yeah, anything else you want to say before we go to the next clip? Nothing much, really. Okay, sounds good. We'll keep going then. Um, This next clip is going to go right about now. So just give me a sec, and here we go. Man, and I always thought Alex doesn't believe in hell. Yeah, I mean, look at these. The torment is tremendous. Or here, torment from every angle of their existence. I mean, consider that while you're watching this video, every wild animal is being tormented every single second of its life. God is so mean. If God is both all-powerful and perfectly good, then it seems to me that his existence is precluded by even the mild discomfort of occasionally stepping on a pointy rock. A God who is both all-powerful and perfectly good would not only abstain from being so mean, but would also disallow anything less than total and eternal bliss. Sometimes apologists will give the Job response to this objection. They will say, who are you to question God? What do you know? He probably allows suffering for some unknown greater purpose that makes up for it. Let's say that's true. Let's say there is a greater purpose that is so great that its greatness makes up for all the suffering he imposed. This only justifies the suffering if this supposedly all-powerful God does not have the power to achieve this purpose without imposing suffering. An all-powerful God who is also perfectly good would achieve his purposes without the suffering. Okay, so there's a lot here, Josh. So where do you want to take this? Perhaps the first thing I can, I think, comes to mind is kind of the difference between suffering and evil, because I think especially when it comes to evolution, I think one of the main things which step up comes to mind is, well, what is the difference between suffering and is suffering evil? And I think as they point out in this video is that suffering isn't necessarily evil. I mean, there's good reasons for why suffering exists evolutionary, because I mean, if you step on the pointy rock or something like that, there's good reason why you feel pain or feel a bit of suffering because, well, you wouldn't continue stepping on that rock and like impaling your foot with like the rock or something. So there are good reasons for why suffering exists and not all suffering is evil. And as a result, I think there has to be kind of a balance between the two in the same way that when you touch fire or not when you're purposely touching fire, but maybe if there's a hot pan or something when you're cooking, you accidentally like graze it, you'll naturally recoil your hand precisely because there's a bit of suffering, there's a bit of pain. And that has been a beneficial reason, both evolutionary and practical, right? And also one of mm-hmm. the other things which I think comes to mind is the idea that, well, I, I do think that God can create a paradise in which there was no suffering to begin with. But at the same time, it does appear that, well, that that is not necessarily a very good thing to do. And precisely because I think perhaps there's a good reason to believe that, well, if you create, if God created a, a paradise and which he gave people with free will to enter, the people with free being, the free beings will just destroy that paradise. 
I think that there's very good reasons to believe in that hypothesis. It does sound quite absurd when it, you first, when it first comes to mind in the sense of you're thinking, well, all right, surely if you gave people a very, very good world of paradise, they wouldn't just completely decide to destroy the paradise. But if you read a lot of kind of um, Milton's Paradise Lost or you read um, Notes from Underground um, by Dostoevsky, you do realize that there's a common recurrent theme that things or people who live in a perfect world are are doomed to destroy it. You have that with the angels in heaven, which fell and rebelled, and there's a beautiful prose in Paradise Lost of Satan falling. And in the same way, you have the underground man in Dostoevsky, where he starts talking about, well, there's these ideals, there's these kind of structures which you can create, this paradise almost of science and everything like that. But in the same way, there's a human nature, it's almost inherent to humanity that humans will be doomed to destroy that paradise precisely because they always want something more to do or they always want to achieve something. They have, people have a mindless obsession towards a goal and a direction. And in some mm -hmm. sense, it does appear that the only way to reach a paradise and a true paradise where people are willingly, willingly um, entering and living in it is to appreciate the evil and understand actually how bad the evil is in order that they appreciate the paradise. And through this soul building process, they're able to actually reach reach paradise and, and actually enjoy it instead of destroying it. So I do think that there perhaps is a jump there to say, well, okay, God created something which isn't a paradise. Okay, then that then that means God must be evil or doesn't exist. I do think that God creating or not creating a paradise might have further reasons to it. And in fact, there's good reasons to support the idea that why God doesn't make a paradise for us. So how would you respond then to Josh to someone that says, well, isn't heaven supposed to be like a perfect place? So what's going on here? Well, I do think that you would say heaven is a perfect place, though. So I think that there almost is a separation between the heaven which we will go to after our death. And of course, this goes into a lot of Christian theology, which I have to admit I'm not, I don't know too much about, or at least not loads of. But I do think that perhaps the, the state in which God existed with Satan and the devils was a different nature of heaven than, than the heaven in which we will go to in the future where there is no evil ontologically because i do think that and even then you could say there you could almost take a view of hegel not not his kind of metaphysical view but his suggestion that the world actually didn't become worse off by the fall it became worse in the in the strictest possible sense to say well oh yeah now there's evil and it's worse in that sense but it's not necessarily worse off in its totality because you could say well yes maybe it's worse but then still it's precisely through the fact of becoming worse and evil coming into that world and that kind of strict definition of it becoming worse it is precisely through that situation in which the greatest possible world can be achieved and you could tie in some idea of Leibniz saying that well everything which occurs has its cause and its reason and as a result we live in the best possible world because everything which occurs right now is almost a reason or a necessary kind of part of existence which will lead to the development of a perfect world in the future and in some sense precisely because it can lead to a perfect world in the future the world right now is part of that perfect plan and hasn't actually gotten worse in uh, when you look at it as a whole or a totality mm -hmm. yeah that's good um one thing i would add here is just the idea that like it seems like to me tmm he assumes that just like all suffering is bad a priori and it seems like to me like he hasn't defended that assumption. I think something that you were just getting at, Josh, the idea of like, well, suffering isn't necessarily bad. Like there might be this, like some redeeming quality of suffering. Um, so we talked about like the idea of like maybe like human freedom could be one. Also like just like to grow in virtue, to grow in character, it might be an explanation for suffering. Like John Hick talks about how like virtues which have been formed within the agent is a hard one to posit of her own decisions and situations of challenge and temptation are intrinsically more valuable than virtues created within her ready-made and without effort on her own part. 
So like, there's something like where you've been talking about, Josh, like there's suffering right there to grow in character and virtue. Um, and you grow and it's more valuable than just like being created perfect. Um, so I think that's a great point to think about here when we're looking at this is the idea that, well, not all suffering is necessarily like a priori bad. Like if suffering can be redeemed and there's some good purpose of suffering, then it's not a bad thing for God to create a world with suffering. Mm-hmm. Definitely agree with you. Mm-hmm. Right. So here we go. We're going to keep going then. And yeah. What I want you to catch is this. Alex's case is essentially an emotional appeal that seriously lacks nuance. It's not an emotional appeal. It's pointing out a contradiction. Sure, he's being hyperbolic in doing so, but that doesn't change the fact that the essential problem is conceptual and logical, not emotional. Remember that, according to Alex, animal suffering is not just any old problem Christianity faces, but it's historically its biggest problem. He claims that it's far easier to explain the tremendous amount of pain plaguing animals against the assumption that an all-loving and all-powerful God does not exist. Now, pause. Think about this. What would we expect to find if we assume that there is no God, and animals in nature are just randomly mutating and evolving and competing for resources with no divine guidance? Well, we'd expect pretty much exactly what we observe in the real world, a messy bloodbath and a struggle for survival. And what would we expect to see if we assumed the existence of an all-loving and all-powerful God? Maybe some level of suffering that we might not be able to fully explain, but nothing even remotely approaching the level of horror and pain that actually exists in the natural world. I agree that Alex is making a mistake by focusing on the quantity of suffering rather than the fact that it exists at all. I think if there really is a being that is all-powerful, all-knowing, and perfectly good, there could not, in fact, be any suffering whatsoever. I don't think even the smallest conceivable amount of suffering is commensurate with the existence of such a god. It is Okay, so I would kind of cover this, but anything else you want to say with regards to this point, Josh? Nothing much. I just think it's kind of uh, just repeating the argument that he's made previously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. Like we've talked about the different reasons that God may allow suffering. And yeah, so I think we've kind of covered it here. Concerned with the existence of such a God. It is incalculably easier to account for this suffering on an atheistic worldview. Now let's apply Alex's logic to the following hypothetical scenario. Let's say we happened not to find a messy bloodbath and that it was not the case that animal life is defined by pain. But instead, we found a world in which animal life happens to be defined by pleasure. A world in which animals are not endlessly tormented in an earthly hell, but where they are alive and well, healthy and happy, and enjoying themselves, in a kind of earthly heaven instead. The world we see is not defined by suffering or pleasure. If there is no God and evolution created organisms, what we would expect to find is pleasure existing as an incentive to survive and reproduce, and suffering existing as a disincentive to injury and death. That's exactly what we see. I strongly suspect that Alex would agree with this. To focus on his obvious hyperbole about animal existence being defined by suffering seems like bad faith to me. Okay, so what do you want to say with regards to this, Josh, with regards to pain and pleasure? Well, I think that it's not necessarily an agreement or a disagreement with, within the Christian worldview, because I don't ne- necessarily view this as an objection to anything which is a central tenet to the Christian faith. I don't think that, I mean, there's good reason to believe, as we've pointed out before, that pain and pleasure does have a similar kind of role to help survival, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if you, I mean it's only reasonable that things which might kill you are going to hurt, and things which don't kill you are going to perhaps be good for you, right? So I don't necessarily think that um, there's any um, objection here, at, at least, of, of mm-hmm. note. Yeah, and I mean, pain and pleasure is definitely something consistent with um, theism and atheism, so I don't really see that as, like, a really big problem. Like, we both need to have homeostasis or, like, eat or drink or things like this to, like, survive. So it's I don't see how it really helps the atheistic case. But there's also things that, like, aren't consistent with, like, atheism. Like, we do things like literature, poetry, music, art, mathematics, logic, philosophy, nuclear physics, evolutionary biology, play, humor, exploration, and adventure. And that's a quote from Alvin Plantinga about things that we do. They don't really relate to biological flourishing. Um, So it seems like, at least for humans, there's something more than just, like, the idea of, like, just trying to survive. So I think it's kind of an assumption he smuggles in that isn't necessarily the case. I think that that's definitely true because I do think you could say that, well, perhaps the, the mode of being 
of of animals is different from the mode of being of 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 humans and, and in some sense humans have like a heightened sense of responsibility and a heightened sense of like um heightened sense of duties that they have to carry out precisely because they're they are more complex and in and in the christian world you would be saying they have they bear the image of god and, and as a result have almost have great moral responsibility on their shoulders so so perhaps the mode of being is different and as, as a result you would expect some difference between humans and and um, animals though of course not complete 100 different because of course there's still a lot of similarities as well mm -hmm. yeah i think that's super great and it's helpful to think about those differences between like humans and kind of like what our basic like biological needs are and like what we actually also do like watch youtube videos about the problem of evil it doesn't seem like it's really related to like biological flourishing at all so yeah i think it's a good point such blissful animal existence would not, according to Alex's own logic, constitute the biggest problem of Christianity, but the biggest problem of atheism. Because if it is incalculably easier to account for the suffering, that is, the horror and pain that actually exists in the natural world, on an atheistic worldview, it also holds that it would be incalculably harder to account for a happy animal existence on an atheistic worldview. And at the same time, incalculably easier to account for it on a Christian worldview. I would agree if such existence were perfectly happy. Since it isn't, it seems much more compatible with atheism than Christianity, at least insofar as God is defined as both all-powerful and perfectly good. Next this dude quotes a scientist who says that animal life is mostly happy. Being just back from a trip with the tent into the wilderness, I realized once again the truth of the statement, most wild animals are happy most of the time. I say that because I keep seeing animals in the wild and they almost always seem content and happy. Some are frolicking in the sun, some are playing, some are making love, some are resting and simply enjoying themselves. In only very rare occasions do I see animals who are suffering. Well, I would not have thought this statement to be remarkable, but for some people it is. For people like Alex, you mean? Let's continue. My primary argument for the above statement that most wild animals are happy most of the time is not just my observation, but also from evolution. Being happy is an important psychological state for animals in order to be healthy. A happy animal has not just a much better immune system, he or she is also active and inquisitive. Being happy and content is a vital ingredient to procreate and to live safely and long. Hence, evolution will produce animals who are mostly happy. Evolution will produce at least some happiness insofar as it is an effective incentive to survive and reproduce and produces other benefits. But I don't understand how you infer any ratio from this between happiness and suffering among animals generally, since both positive and negative emotions produce advantages for survival. However, even if the ratio of happiness to suffering is high, the fact that there is any suffering at all still seems to contradict the idea of an all-powerful and perfectly good God. So we covered the idea of like, well, a priori, there's like the idea that like God is just incompatible with any suffering. But anything else you want to say, Josh, with regards to what he's talking about here with this ratio of animal suffering? Perhaps one of the interesting um, things that can be pointed out here as well, how much suffering is required or how much goodness is required to balance out the suffering in the world. And, and of course, this comes from my pessimistic, maybe Dostoevsky and um, Russian kind of pessimis pessimistic style of, oh, we're all going to die kind of um, thinking. But <laughs> though mm -hmm. I do think that in some sense, um, yeah, because I did see a, a, a quite a funny meme recently of someone saying, well, there's some western literature about oh we're all happy and then the next person is oh oh some things might pass and then and in the end of the age is like some like russian literature being okay we're all just dead now don't worry but then like mm -hmm. there is some um there's some idea that i think only a small amount of good is required to um overcome a lot of evil in some sense that while while evil is great in the world good also is greater especially kind of meet like pure good and, and perhaps a good example of this would be the idea of christ right like you have the greatest stuff you have one act of good is willing to, is able to overcome the greatest amount of evil possible like all the sin in the world is uh, redeemed by one act of good and of course that one act of good is is christ and that's a real, real a really great act of good but in the same way you could suggest perhaps that 
you only need a few amounts of goodness in the world to justify a lot of suffering. And, and even then you could go further and say, well, maybe it's not, you don't even need a few bits of goodness in the world to justify all the suffering, but rather that there's a lot of parts which are good in the world, which we just don't realize. And this is something that Leibniz argues is that, well, the reason why we're so attentive to evil and say, oh my gosh, there's so much evil is precisely because we're not very used to it. If you saw something happen every single day, you would start being a bit desensitized to it because I was talk I was watching this podcast episode with Yeonmi Park where she was talking about some really horrific conditions in North Korea mm -hmm. where like she'll be like saying, well, oh, people starving and dying in the street. Well, that's a normal sight. I thought that was just like an everyday existence. And then they go out of North Korea and she's like, well, oh my gosh, everyone's full. Everyone's eating a lot. And like, how is that possible, right? I mean, to someone who doesn't know any kind of difference, either good and evil, you've you very quickly become desensitized to it. And perhaps we've become desensitized to a lot of the goodness that we experience in the world. And the fact that evil means so much to us just, just proves the point that there actually is so much good that we're just completely desensitized mm. to like. You rarely turn on the tap and, and drink water from it in the morning and say, well, oh, that's a great good, but actually it might be a great good in the same way there's perhaps a lot of great goods in the world which we just don't appreciate and don't know of, which outweigh, out, outweigh all the evil. I think that's a great point, Josh. And something I would add is um, if you read John Schneider's book talking about like the Darwinian problem of evil, he talks about this idea that like we can kind of see what God is doing with this world. Um, so he, like you talked about the idea of like the incarnation in Christ and like we can see um, in this world, like this world being transformed, like progressing towards something good. Like we can say that like um, he has this quote where he says, God is raised up and brought to life from seemingly dead chaotic conditions, beginning with the actual biological life itself. We can see God bringing the world to its rightful order. So that's his quote here. And he's talking about how like um, even in like the biological world, we can see um, through like the Christian lens of this world being transformed. We think about the idea of like the growing church, the idea of Christians growing, like we can see this world progressing towards um, something good, something valuable, progressing towards the eschaton. Obviously, I guess if your eschatology might be different, you might say, well, the world's going to end horrific. Um, we can still see even like, regardless of your theological views with the incarnation, like there's something beautiful happening. Um, this world being brought from like death and suffering to something like that's rightful and order and beautiful. Um, so that's what I would say. And like, you think about the medical advances that we've made over the past like hundred years, like there's something really good about what we're doing there. Um, so that's kind of what I think. I definitely agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just important here to balance. Like you could, like you can point out the suffering, but you also got to understand that there's a lot of good happening right now. And that's why I liked your point talking about like us um, with regards to like knowing, like becoming numb and things like that to the evil and Yom Yomni Park. I forget how to say your name. So, yeah. Okay, so we have one more clip that we're gonna play, and this has been going smooth. So here is the next one. God, of course. If you assume evolutionary theory, this makes complete sense, doesn't it? Happiness is the psychological state most conducive to survival, which is why evolution will produce happy animals. What's most conducive to survival is a range of emotions that each make their own contribution to survival. What the optimum ratios between those emotions are depends on the situation in which any given organism is living. According to Alex, animal life is supposedly defined by pain, a gloomy existence of endless torment in an earthly hell. He tells us that, of course, this is pretty much exactly what we'd expect to find if we assume that the all-loving and all-powerful God of Christianity does not exist. And he calls this Christianity's biggest historical problem. What is his case built on? Mainly on emotions. No, his case is built mostly on the fact that the existence of suffering contradicts the existence of an all-powerful, perfectly good God. This is a logical objection, not an emotional one. Now remember, it's Alex himself who asserted that it is incalculably easier to account for the suffering on an atheistic worldview. What he meant by this suffering is the massive path we supposedly observe in the real world, which, according to Alex, is what we would expect to find if we assume that there is no God. 
Well, the only problem is that we don't actually observe this suffering in the real world, but only in the fictional world Alex has orchestrated for us in his emotional drama. What we do observe in the real world is that animals are, as science tells us, almost always content, suffering in only very rare occasions and happy most of the time. Which is also incompatible with the existence of an all-powerful, all-knowing, perfectly good God. Boom. End. Okay. Josh, anything else you want to say here at the end as we wrap this up? Nothing much, really. I just would disagree with the idea that Alex is providing a logical arc logical poem of evil i do think he's just providing an evidential poem of evil and quite a strong one at that i just think that uh, most of the responses to the logical poem of evil have already been said because i do think that the, that's just kind of a repetitive part of the argument mm -hmm. which is nothing wrong against the video it's just um that i do think that it just goes back to the same point of the logical form of evil mm -hmm. yeah that's good and i would just add that like it's gonna be a really big burden for someone to bear like a logic problem of evil. Like Josh Harrison talks about, like for in order to be true that God would prevent all evil, it must also be true that God couldn't have couldn't have any good reason to allow evil. So like during this video, we've talked about a bunch of different reasons. Like suffering isn't just necessarily bad. Like there's things like human freedom or soul building, um, good things for animals, like they can grow. And we've talked about like, well, there's good reasons they might be able to grow and flourish and try to understand the world a little bit better um, that we can. So there's good purposes behind suffering. It's kind of what I kind of argue and then for someone trying to say that suffering is incompatible oof, you're gonna have a lot of work you gotta do so yeah i mean i really appreciate his perspective and it's a good video and yeah i mean anything else you want to say josh before we wrap this up here nothing much really though i do think that with the logical problem of evil light niches the odyssey the light niche optimism that this is the best of all possible worlds actually works quite good and i never thought i would ever say that but i do think that just saying that well god has God might have a very good reason to allow evil, even if we don't know it, is quite a good theodicy when it comes to uh, talking about the logical problem of evil, because that just, I think, just defeats the logical problem of evil and kind of immediately. Well, we may have to talk about this sometime, because I don't know if I can share those same intuitions, but we'll save that for another day. So, <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in today. Um, thank you again to TMM for this video. Even if we disagree with you, we value a lot in your response and your thoughts. So we hope you found this like provoking in a good way. Um, and yeah, it just helps bring clarity in your pursuit of truth. So yeah, thank you so much for everyone for listening. Encourage you to check out Josh's channel, Philosophy for All. Really great channel. And yeah, we'll see you next time. So have a good everyone. God bless.